right, I'm pushing buttons, gentlemen. Buttons. And it might be the case that we are live, which I assume we are. So I'm going to run over to Facebook and open it up so I can see the comments come in. All right. I see us. Hey. Do you? How do we look? Oh, we're looking good. Nice. Oh, there we are. All right. One person's watching. I like it. Hello, one person. Six people. <laughs> Do I hear 10? Right. Pause this. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, from Phil Ike, we got a high. Wait. Phil. What? What are you doing? What did I do? You're like, you said hi in there. It kind of threw me off. Oh, I figure out where you are. All right. We'll let. Uh, We'll let the masses gather for a moment. Uh, catch us up for a moment, uh, Phil, if you would, on what's happening in um, your in the nook of the mitten. So, in the nook of the mitten, right here in this area, um, we we had a couple dams break uh, after after some rainfall that we had about 30, 20, 20 miles west of here. Um, they were, unfortunately, one of the dams had its license revoked a couple years ago, and there was a, an effort to have the, the people that lived around the lake that it created to actually own the dam, but that, that didn't happen, and that led to kind of a, a really bad situation. So we're, we're in a 500-year flood situation, but not because of rainfall, but because of, of dams breaking. And mm -hmm. so right now, uh, Midland is... Midland and Sanford are, are getting hit pretty hard. Midland's downtown is uh, flooded up to the main street, but not on the main street, which is awesome. Uh, Sanford uh, got destroyed pretty much. I, I forget the footage of water that they're under right now, but they're pretty, they're rocked pretty hard. And all of that water is moving downstream towards Bay City here where I'm at, and then Saginaw, which is uh, about 20 miles south of here so right now we're just kind of waiting and seeing what happens you know you could wake up tomorrow and everything could be underwater or um the water's dissipated so we're just kind of waiting and seeing on top of a pandemic so it's kind of a crazy situation up here i've never read the bible but i think there's something about this it's there. very it's very biblical yeah, like you got a plague going on and you've got a flood going on we just need some fire and some locusts and we'll be pretty much <laughs> 2020 so. can deliver. I, I, yeah, don't ask. Um, well, yeah, uh, our yeah. thoughts certainly to, um, to to Michigan right now. I mean, that's, Thank you. that's devastating, and we uh, hope that things turn out as good as yeah. possibly can be. Yeah, and I, I'm sure we'll get to this later on, but it's it's amazing to see, like you would think that small towns and cities would buckle under a under a pandemic. And just kind of throw in the cards and say, okay, I give up. And then you throw in a 500-year flood on top of that. And you'd think that they would say that even more. But within hours, Midland had evacuated like 11,000 people. Not a single person died. Um, I mean, almost instantly, people were reaching out saying, hey, come stay with me at my house. I've got food. People from all over the Great Lakes Bay region were reaching out just as individuals saying, they would they would take pictures of their extra room in their house and say, "I have this extra room and food. You can come stay here." Mm -hmm. um, so it's pretty incredible to see the amount of 
pride that people have and how that translates directly into doing and action and helping and trying to rebuild and rebuild and rebuild. So it's did, a, it's a pretty cool thing. Did you did just you, segue? Yes. Artfully. So I would add. Artful for sure. <laughs> well, it, it was an artful segue, but I would be remiss uh, Jack if I didn't let you know a, a comment from uh, Randy Wilson. Uh, important logistical question, since Jack Story will be speaking on this panel, who will take his place to post on conferences wittiest and snarkiest posts? I don't know. I'll go back after we're done and I will, will uh, taunt myself. Uh, I believe uh, uh, Ben Muldrow raised his hand to try to... Uh, Very good. I, try, I believe in Ben. He's believe. picking up the torch. I love it. Uh, all right. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much, very much for being part of this uh, panel today yeah. and thank to discuss you. pride in places. Uh, and it was a nice segue. Um, but why don't we start with a bit of an introduction of the two of you. So Jack, you want to hop in? Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Jack Story. I am the founder of a thing called Saving Cities, which turns 10 in two months. Um, I also form, isn't that nice? I also formerly uh, helped run the world's largest makerspace called the Idea Foundry here in Columbus, uh, more specifically in Franklinton, the neighborhood of Franklinton, and was the former executive director of the Franklinton Development Association. Uh, yeah, there you go. Excellent. Excellent. Phil? And my name is Phil Ike, and I'm here in Bay City, Michigan, and I'm the founder of Full Steam Social Media, where I do uh, photography, videography, writing, and podcasting for businesses, nonprofits, and cities in kind of a humans of New York meets civic and municipal marketing kind of thing. Excellent, excellent. Um, and I'm Jeff Sigler here in Pittsburgh, uh, run a small firm called Revitalize or Die. And I'm gonna give a little of my background and backstory to help bring us into this conversation. So. Uh, prior to going out on my own, I was the uh, state coordinator for the Ohio Main Street program. And that means driving a lot around to a lot of communities and working with a lot of towns um, and kind of had this reoccurring theme of going to a place and thinking you'd turn a corner, thinking something special had happened, thinking that, that maybe things were going to change and you'd go back in a year and find it was exactly the same. And the same attributes were always popping up you know, a, a lack of creativity, uh, that, that's a willingness or an unwillingness to, to sort of cultivate new ideas, uh, a real, a real pushback against learning from other communities. Um, just like just certain, certain attributes, characteristics that like, you were repeated in town and town and town again. And it was kind of like, what is that? Why can we not make any progress here? Why are the, why is this dysfunction so rampant? And it finally dawned on me, dawned on me after some time that it was apathy. Like what what happened is they're there. I think maybe Wayne Hoffman said it last week. Like their give a shit was broken. Uh, it was it was all it was all broke up, and and they didn't care, and people generally didn't care, and there it was hard to make any progress when there was just this rampant uh, rampant sense of what matter, like why does this matter? There's nothing to care about, and then it. You know, simultaneously realize like, why should they? I mean, that this is not an indictment of those people. Like, all the things that they should have cared about had been removed or replaced. The, the things that were special about their town had um, dissipated, 
And so the natural, you know, their natural response should be uh, not to care. So which which led on to some, you know, more challenges to some thinking to, to um, testing some different things and realized though finally like pride. Pride is the only tool we have in which you can combat apathy. Like the sense of of not caring is the exact, like pride is the act of caring about something that something matters to you and you want to care for it. And, and apathy is the exact opposite of that. So which which led to this whole idea of, of you know, fighting apathy through pride. So that's that's led us to here. So the three of us have been having discussions over the past month about some of these topics and, and what can be done. And each of you have kind of your own sort of story in, in dealing with apathy and, and pride. Um, I'm, I'm relatively new to this place space. Full Steam is only about three years old as a company. And I really started getting into work with cities in the past year. And like, I kind of look at myself as, as a person who's transitioned in the feeling of pride and place, because previously to this, I was a teacher here in Bay City. And when I, when I was a teacher, I taught for six years. Like I didn't, I didn't care about where I lived because I was at school all day. And like my connection to place was I worked here and I, I slept here and that was it. Like hardly ever went into downtown, you know, I'd go to Meyer and, and buy some groceries and, and that was it. And so of course, like when people would, would talk to me, well, how do you like Bay city? I would say, Oh, I hate it here. Like it sucks. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to do when Honestly, that it was more my issue because I wasn't trying to experience and engage with the city. And then I got an office here downtown and I was like, oh, like there, there's stuff going on here. There's people that are trying to make things happen. Like, yeah, sure. We struggle with a lot of the same issues that a lot of downtowns do. But but there's there's a there's this really passionate people that despite a massive undertaking, are still trying to start that brewery or start that restaurant or, or trying to contribute in some, some way to make something happen. And that to me was catalytic because now I started feeling a sense of pride. Like I am proud of that person that they took this giant risk to build this fantastic restaurant on the other side of this wall. Like I'm proud of them. And because I'm proud of them, I'm proud of this city. And that made me feel great. And then my work with cities, it's the same thing. It's, it's how to be proud of people and their work with the city, because like, yes, we're proud of our place, but we experience place and we get to know our place through the people that are there. And that to me was kind of the, the changing point when I, when I connected place and pride and people all together in, in, in one. And so, so I, that's been kind of my journey into place place and pride very good uh mine is a little bit more traditional big city stuff um my family grew up in the same handful of blocks for four generations um in collinwood which is the furthest east side neighborhood in the city of cleveland ohio and still my favorite place on earth and it was instilled in me from birth that you should be proud of the street you're on um, it wasn't really a conversation as much as it just was a known, right? Like neighbors would pop into my grandma's house every day, every single day, um, unannounced and eat food, like an absurd amount of food was eaten. Uh, 
And so she was always cooking in this like really cool, we call them Cleveland doubles, but just like a nice, you know, duplex. Um, but, you know, this is probably like an 850 square foot place that never had less than 20 people in it. Um, and that kind of just instilled in me, that's how you work. That's how things are supposed to work. Um, and then I grew up, my dad and my mom decided to take us away from the city into the suburbs. And that is when I felt the severe loss of that thing, right? And so uh, I didn't know community development was a career path. Uh, I didn't know that that was a job you could have. And when I figured that out, I was 27. So uh, um, I went to school for film and I came home because of the Forbes Most Miserable Index in 2009 was in graduate school and Cleveland was the number one most miserable city. Um, and so I wrote to the author of that article and got them to admit that they had never been to Cleveland. Um, and I said, how can you call something miserable if you've never been to it? And um, they were citing things like, it's cold there. And I was like, yeah, that doesn't make us miserable. You know, I lived in Florida for a little bit for school. That's miserable to me. Um, so I just moved home and started doing whatever I could do. I, I, man, I, I love it. Like, and I think that's such an incredible story that this is this, and we've had this conversation, like there's a richness to community and to place and to those interactions with people. Like I've, whenever somebody's moved, you know, I say, well, what do you, what do you miss most about the town you left? And it's never, it's never been like, it's never been this thing or that thing. It's like, oh, I miss my friends. I miss the people. Like you are rooted in your place by the people. That is what draws you to a place. It's what connects you. What's, it's what holds you to a place. And it's what um, uh, keeps you from leaving a place. But that only exists in the right context. Like it doesn't exist in, in the sprawl. You told, you said your parents moved you away to the sprawl and like, it's just not the same there. It's not built for that. It's actually built um, in opposition of, of, of common space, of the idea yeah. of gathering. Um, you know, and, and it makes me think of, of my hometown, Lima, Ohio, that like I always uh, I, um, repeat myself too much, but like, man, the town that my dad grew up in, that I'm sorry, the place that my grandfather grew up in, Lima, Ohio, was amazing. Like, God, I love looking at the photos and thinking about the, the richness of life and what it would have been like and, and how how incredible it would have been to grow up there. Like I grew up in the same town, but my place was shit. Like, you know, it was a sprawling suburb where nothing mattered. People didn't uh, walk to get together. It, it was meaningless and devoid of sort of integrity. Yeah. And that's that's what shaped, <laughs> sadly, that's what shaped me. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy with sprawl because you're, you're, you're it's such a huge wide expanse that causes such a profound isolation of people like it's just you'd think over all of this land and all of this stuff that people would find a way to interact but that's just not how we work I mean like a, a, a mile and a half down the road here you've got kind of a stretch of of busy a busy road with all of your kind of franchises and Bef while I was teaching fifth grade, I remember driving down that road and seeing sidewalks on either side and say, well, like, why in the fuck would somebody want to walk down this road? Like, and they don't because it because it's not it's not human. It's not inviting. It's a, it says to them, you're not welcome here. And then that in turn translates to how people interact with each other. Like I go down the street and I get my McDonald's and I go right back to my house. And I don't talk to my neighbors and I don't talk to anybody because that's it. 
I'm not encouraged to do that by my place. You know, this this is a little tangential to our topic, and and I know at 16 minutes in, maybe it's not the time to to <laughs> take a big turn, but it was on my mind. It's like, man, you see on the news all these angry ass people protesting and not wanting to wear a mask, and it's like, where's your humanity? And then it's like, oh, you probably haven't ever lived in a place that cultivates humanity, like, mm. and this may be. A, way uh, painting with a broad brush, but I suspect that a lot of those people live in a place where they're isolated, where this sense of community and a sense of, of neighborliness and humanity is just devoid of their location, which I, I suppose would lead you to that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about happier things. Uh, <laughs> no, but like, how, you know, I think that's a good point, but the, the whole thing is how do we foster that, right? Because you can't force somebody to be proud of a place um, and I think it's important, we've said before to each other, pride does not mean cheerleading. Like you don't have to, it's not synonymous. Uh, I think my hometown neighborhood needs a ton of work, uh, a ton of work. And, but I'm still proud of it. There's still plenty to be proud of. We have the Beachland Ballroom in Collinwood. It's the best place on earth for alternative music in the United States, consistently voted in the top 10 worldwide. Um, that's something to be really proud of, but it doesn't fix the shitty sidewalks or the bad lots and the, you know, it doesn't solve the problems. Um, so how do we help foster pride, I think, is a huge part of the conversation. Well, what I'd like to put to you is to, I mean, to both of you, it's like, well, we lost it. We squandered it. And, and what do you like? what changed about place where what things did we lose again i think that you know we we should instead of always blaming people look at the environment because i think that that's like i don't know it, it, it's not the kids don't want to play outside today it's that if they live you know stranded in a cul-de-sac they can't play outside like people didn't change places change so what do you think changed so much about our places that has led to this loss of pride what what have we lost nothing like um, yeah, go ahead, I, Jeff. Yeah, I just think when, you know, when my parents left, that's the beginning of that cycle. Because um, there wasn't anybody there to help maintain, right? And there's truth. And depending on the newly elderly to continue to aggressively maintain and upkeep the physical space, um, it's not fair, it's not right, but it's also kind of what happened, especially in cities like Cleveland and Detroit and um, I know Buffalo and you know, so when you look at that I think a huge part of it was the leaving and then the kind of not to come back so you know families who had family businesses I know a ton of the folks that I worked with in Collinwood who are on East 185th Street business district they don't have anyone to leave those companies to those retail brick and mortar shops they you know they're two or three generations deep now but that's it that's the end um, and so these guys and, and gals are pushing 80 some of them are pushing 90 and they're still <laughs> running these shops and owning these buildings there's no one there to help them i think that hurts a lot for for me what i've noticed is almost a loss of consciousness about place like i don't want to say that that people 100 years ago didn't have to think about it in these terms but they were almost forced to because they were less mobile and they had less ways to immediately communicate but now I can talk to anybody I want to in the world without leaving my house and so I'm not forced to leave my house and I don't have to think about uh, walkability and, and density in downtown because or 
they didn't have to think about it because like downtown is where you lived and that's where you went and got your food. Like you didn't, you couldn't go someplace else and get your food. Like you couldn't hop on Amazon and have all of your food delivered directly to your house. But then so, so much has changed in the past hundred years. And we're like, Oh, I kind of like the suburbs. So I like the internet. I like getting my food here. I like the fact I can buy McDonald's here in Bay city and then drive 7,000 miles the other way and then get the exact same food there like I kind of like that and so it was kind of this unconscious loss and now we woke up in in 2020 and we're like holy crap like what what's happening and so I think the really powerful thing of like this 3d bender and downtown happy hours that we're starting to like verbalize these things like like here in Bay, Bay City we start we started a Facebook group just simply talking about the feasibility of closing down streets for restaurants and bars just average your average citizens who who don't know placemaking and and urbanism and all the words like they just want to see something great in their city and they're talking about well how would we do this and then you get to talk about ordinances and and codes and things like that and so it's this really awesome time where you have all of these people that are kind of reclaiming this consciousness of place. And I think that's the unconsciousness is what, it's what got us here kind of in a bad place in a lot of our, our towns and cities and places. That is a phenomenal point because right, like places, background music, it's, it's the air conditioning yeah. you don't hear until it stops. And you're like, why, why is this shit so quiet? Like, you don't realize that the places that you're in are constantly shaping your decisions and change how you behave. But because we don't, we don't have the language to talk about it. We haven't in, in the past. And it's sort of this, yeah, it's just this thing you do. I, it's yeah. just, um, you know, it, it, one of the jumping back a little bit. Um, one of the things I always think about what was lost is, is beauty, you know, that, that we used to be surrounded by beauty in our towns and that like, I, I painted my front steps the other day at something that I hadn't done. It's been bugging me for two years. And I painted them. It's like, oh my God, every time I step outside, like, God, it looks great. I love it. I love it. Why the fuck did I wait two years to do that? It looks so nice. And I enjoy this space more. Mm -hmm. And we used to be surrounded by beauty in our towns every day. We travel to go experience, to be immersed in beauty. Like we'd love to put ourselves in those places. Um, you know, we, we obsess about this idea, um, whether it's physical beauty, whether it's clothing, whether it's interior design. And yet, you know, when it comes to our towns, it's like, well, fuck this place. Like, I don't know who throw up, whatever, put up a, a Target or Walmart design reviews, a bunch of nonsense. And like, wait, 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 like this thing that's shaping our, our, our sense of self and our, our, uh, well-being more than about anything where we just are going to disregard. And now we're surrounded, like, <sighs> If you're surrounded by trashy things all the time, it might eventually make you feel kind of trashy. And I think a lot of people are surrounded by trashy things and that is doing a lot of damage. Yeah, absolutely. I'm always struck by like visiting a new city and only being impressed by the old buildings. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, like you walk in and I'm sure like, and that's such a broad brush. I mean, there's fantastic architecture and buildings going on, but in a lot of our cities, you walk in and like, oh, that is such a cool old building. And then you look at something that's newer and it's like, wow, that looks like a place I would go to get my teeth cleaned. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I love that we used to be surrounded by beauty. Right, right. The, 
you can't, again, you shouldn't be surprised if everyone's sort of civic participation and love for their town is suddenly, you know, or is over the course of a generation degraded or, or non-existent because you've, in essence, like, I, it's like, I hate to talk shit on my town, but I'm not the one that trashed it. Like, I didn't go about trashing my community. The, 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 the people before me did when they said, whatever goes, like, we have no standards. Uh, you can build anything you want here and you don't have to maintain anything either. So <laughs> I absolutely agree with what you said. I, I think, I think that also plays into like a consciousness of it too, because, because I, d I don't, I don't want to say like all of those people are nefariously saying just build whatever we love money, but, but it's almost the people in the positions also weren't conscious of the fact, like what kind of effect this would have over decades. They look at it as, some somebody is wanting to develop in our city this is great we have more businesses in our city great but they hadn't been taught and they hadn't been exposed to the ideas that well maybe over the long term that's not a good idea because of of this and now we're starting to see the fruits of those decisions so now we have the the data that we can show no this actually is a really terrible idea because of the math and we've been studying it for decades. And so we can show you, no, this is a really bad idea. You should stop. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, that's kind of the central thing you, you sort of hit on. It's, it's right. Like if you piece by piece, you sell off your community a little bit at a time for, for nearly nothing, there's, there's nothing left. It's, it's like the giving tree, you know, at the end of it, it's like, well, uh, you can sit in my stump. There's really nothing left. And it's like, no, nah, if you would have held true, if you would have, um, kept your integrity and said, no, we're only going to accept these certain things. Those are the places that are killing it. Those are the places where everybody wants to go. Those have the highest real estate values. Like you're, it's all backwards to think, this is the one I, I kind of run into a lot with mayors. It's like, well, we're going to remove all the regulations because we can't, we want to encourage investment. You're like, wait, wait, it's never happened. Uh, turns out that that has never occurred that uh, a lack of regulations has led to anybody wanting to invest. So what do we, oh, go ahead, Jay. From people though, right? So not that politicians aren't people, but that's debatable. Um, I think the conversation is the folks that live in the place are often not given a whole lot of information. They're certainly not given an outlet to voice their concerns meaningfully. Um, we have all been a part of shitty community meetings, every one of us. Um, and the vast majority of the community meetings we held were more posturing than anything else. Um, I think that there is a genuine lack of communication. And I know that we've had a couple of really good sessions these last couple of days on that topic. Um, I think that I agree with all of the things about government needing to care a whole lot more about the appearance of place and about how they're kind of helping push small business forward. I think a place like Detroit's huge, man, right? It's huge. So they need to be loud. People in their places need to learn how to become louder um, in a more meaningful dialogue. And I think that's a lot of what our jobs are supposed to be. And I don't know that we, I know I, know I haven't always been particularly good at doing that. Um, but I think the argument of how to get people to be proud of a place is to make sure that they have some shit in the game right like uh, i don't think that a lot of people feel that way and that is the hardest 
part of this, you know, I can go yell at the mayor and it's very fun to do so. If you haven't, I encourage you to try it. Um, but I don't want to dissuade humans from fighting for sidewalks and fighting for um, upgrades to their buildings and figuring out how to use the auditor's website to track down information on shithead landlords who live out of state, right? So there's some of this that's about education. There's some of this is about um, finding a way to communicate better. And I hope, you know, I know the three of us absolutely have thoughts on that. Phil, what do you, I mean, to that point, like what, oh, sorry, Jack, I thought that. Was uh, it or not? Um, Phil, you know, your thoughts on, on okay, so yeah, we, we are stuck in the situation where a lot of people aren't proud of their communities. And again, rightfully so. How do we go about uh, fighting apathy by cultivating pride? So my work with, with the city of Saginaw from the beginning dealt with how do we tell the stories of the people who care? Because if, if you don't know those people and you don't know the stories and you don't know what they're doing, of course you're going to think that your city isn't worth it and you're not going to be proud. Like, well, nothing's happening here. You know, all these businesses are leaving. But when you start to like walk into a business like Mar Marley in the comments just said, like, what, like, what's a good example of a campaign? Walk into a business, take a picture of that person and s start asking them questions. Like, who are you? Did you grow up here? Why did you start this business? And you are going to uncover just the, the absolute craziest, best stories of humans that nobody has ever heard in your city. Like that, that store could have been there for the past 150 years and something is going to come out of that mouth that says, like, I love it here. This is a new story. This is a new old story. And that, that I think is really the most powerful way because, because one, it cultivates this reconnection of people into the place that they live. Like they get to rediscover their city. Like you can have, you can have a town of 3000 or a town of or a city of 3 million. And it doesn't matter because like, there's some kind of reconnection that has to happen there. And if you want to foster pride and cultivate that, you have to hold up and uh, uh, like as a platform and what uh, these stories and these people and amplify what it is they're doing because that inspires other people. I, I'm going to be more hesitant to put my money and my livelihood and all, all my hard work into the game if I don't see other people doing the same. But if every day on like social media, for example, I see a, a new person's face with a new story that says, I love it here, despite the pandemic, despite a flood, despite the wrath of God descending from heaven, I will never move from this place. That bolsters everybody else up. It's like, wow, if, if that person is so dedicated to this place, there is a reason why. And I need to find out that reason why. So even if it's not an immediate sense of pride, it at least gets them a little bit more curious as well. Like, why does this person care so much? Just my thoughts. Well, <laughs> well because, because you need a critical mass to right. like really make anything happen. Like we, we want to program the shit out of our downtowns and say, come to our wine walk, come to our wine walk. 
but but you haven't done the work that it takes right. beforehand to get people there. Like you have to have this critical mass of people and then the momentum happens and poof, now you've got things going because everybody's working right. in the same direction at the same time. Right. And, and I love that that's what you're doing in, in Saginaw. Instead of one more campaign to try to make people from somewhere else love your town, you said, let's make the people that live here love our town. Like, wouldn't that be a difference? Instead of when somebody says, hey, I just moved to Saginaw and a local saying, oh, God, why would you do that? Why would you come here? They say, hell yeah, man. That was yeah. the smartest thing you ever done. This town is amazing. You're going to love it here. We take care yep. of each other. It's awesome. Right. Imagine if you turned 20,000 of your citizens into raving fans that said, you should come here. We wouldn't want to go anyplace else. Like you 20, solved 10, every problem. Yeah. Yeah. 10, let's cut it in, in like a quarter of that, like 5,000. Imagine if you had a, like an army of 5,000 fill in your blanks, you know, put, put your city name here, super fans. Like you had an army of 5,000 people that volunteered, started businesses, invested, started nonprofits, cleaned the street, cleaned the windows of downtown that nobody seems to want to clean ever. Like what if you had 5,000 elite special forces super fans? Like you could change the world. You, you could change the world with a crew of 5,000 because that turns into 10,000, which turns into 20,000, which turns into like a really, really amazing thing. Math. I mean, yeah, there's math in there. <laughs> It's a lot of numbers, Phil. Jeez. So many numbers. It, it's sort of like when you see a community stop just putting out like pro sports or high school sports t-shirts and actually start putting out shirts that like, you know what, my, like, uh, it's not my high school football team I give a shit about. It's my community. Yeah, and that is, is a tipping point that. because man, sports teams like take a page from the sports playbook. Like, look, they get people to show up, you know, to show up every Friday night at, you know, seven o'clock. They got gear you can wear that you know how to support them. You know how to donate. Like sports have, have done a good job of giving people. I mean, here's what I know. Like, here's what's been fascinating to see. I realized that in communities that are really devoid of pride also are the most passionate about their high school football teams. Mm -hmm. And it was like, what is this that's going on? And I realized like, holy shit, they're mm -hmm. so desperate to, to be proud, to invest their pride in somewhere and because they're, they can't put it in their community, they have found sports as a place to put that. And like, then that's not a bad thing. It just goes to show you that people want to be proud of something and devoid of, of that. Like they'll find something else too, I guess. If you want a great, 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 great example of that, there's a company called STL Style in St. Louis who's been running for 14 or 15 years now. They are exclusively like neighborhood t-shirts and are super cool and those dudes are uh jeff and randy vines twin brothers who run the shop are some of the best human beings i've ever known and if you want to learn from or get advice on how to i guarantee you those guys would be more than thrilled to walk you through what they did um yeah they're phenomenal and st louis is a kick-ass town yeah at this at the start of the this pandemic we we designed this t-shirt i'll show you <laughs> I like it. Support your local everything, because because that's where the pendulum was swinging before COVID hit, where people started saying, "Hey, it's kind of nice to be proud of where I live." And then the pandemic hit, and I think it really forced, like, it gave that pendulum a whole nother push, because now you, it's just your city. Now you're isolated, and now your neighbor is the person who is going to get you through this. 
And so, so now people are really clinging on, like, we have to support our local everything. We have to get, we have to get takeout. Like we have to get takeout at least three times a week, because if we don't, that business could go out of business. Like people are throwing money at, at local mm-hmm. neighbors who are trying to do something because they, they get it. They get, now they get it. Like there's so much more to this place than just the street and where I go to get drunk on Friday nights every once in a while. Like there's more and there's a foundation there that hasn't been tapped into yet. So I think, so we've touched on a couple of things. One, it's like selling residents, focus on making residents proud. What, you know, what would make them more proud of their town? Um, I think, you know, beauty uh, is one standards. I mean, I always come back to standards. Like mm-hmm. we're on, we're in the about fifth decade of lowering standards in most every community in every regard. Like, well, at some point you have to say, no, like let's raise our standards. Let's ask more of one another. Let's call out bullshit. Um, like you, sometimes you got to be uh, the get off my lawn guy. Like sometimes you just have to say like, Hey, uh, watch your language or Hey, like, don't, don't throw your trash on my street, pick that shit up. Or, Hey, like, no, we're not going to accept this business having, you know, uh, um, trash in their windows. Like I, I that, um, yeah, it's there. You can have storage in your house, but maybe it shouldn't be in the family room. Like you can have storage in your community. It's not meant for downtown you know, find another place for it and, and having some standards and starting to raise those and saying like, we expect more because people can't, people won't rise to the occasion if you don't ask them to. Yeah. It, it, or people won't rise to the occasion if you don't ask them to, or if you don't listen to what they have to say. Right. And exactly. so one of the, one of the first interviews I did with, uh, for Saginaw was with a professor uh, at Saginaw Valley State University and that was one of the most profound things that she said to me was like, before you try to fix something in your community, you have to ask the community what needs to be fixed, because there is a good chance that you come flying in there with your money and with your enthusiasm and your energy. And then you fuck it up even more worse because that's not what the community needed. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. you or you tried to fix the, the, the problem, but you tried to fix it in a way that made it worse. And like, well, well, wait, what, like you tried to, you tried to clean up our neighborhood, but that's, that's not at all what, what we would have done. Right. And so I think part of, part of it is that is just having, cultivating that communication where city hall goes to door to door and says, Hey, do you have 15 minutes to talk? We just want to hear what you have to say. Um, and I think, I think in the world that yeah. according to me, uh, vetted by very few if any humans other than myself and they have failed spectacularly um because i didn't pay attention and i got cocky and you know small business is a problem we need to address the lack of retail and so i'll do it with this program Uh, i didn't ask any of the landlords if they would participate (laughs) and they're pretty important and when i asked them they said no and so I spent all this time and all this effort and all this resource building a program that wasn't even able to get off the ground um, because I didn't ask and I didn't listen. I certainly didn't listen. Yeah. Imagine um, all the time you could save, like all the <laughs> oh time and money and, and effort. Like yeah. if you just went and said, hey, how do you guys think we should do this? And, and they give you like a $50 answer that works 10 times better than a $500,000 answer that that you spend five years on and then you wake up and you're like, well, that didn't really get us anywhere. I think the reason we don't like to do that is because you will have to suffer through someone being angry at the price of beans 
you will have to suffer through people yelling at you for shit you were not responsible for and had no part in. Uh, um, right. And it's uncomfortable. It sucks. And it's, it's divisive on its own between the community development and economic development folks and the residents of a place. It's insane, especially those who have to operate as like a quasi governmental agency, because then you're weirdly attached to the city government, which is the mm -hmm. worst thing when you're trying to fight on behalf of a community uh, of people. You know, it's that kind of thing. So you just have to be kind of aware, at least in, in my experience, I've had to become way more aware of the fact that I don't work for governments and I don't work for cities for the most part. I work for people in places, right? And if that's Franklinton in Columbus, I don't work for Columbus. Um, I work for Franklinton and the, and the people of Franklinton. And that's a tough... That's a tough line to walk in a lot of these cities. I know that that's true, um, but I think that's important. I think it's the most important. So, so Ben is doing a good job of, of uh, picking up your mantle. And he first, he pointed out one of the reasons I guffawed in the middle of yours uh, comment, Phil, was that apparently Ben pointed out that apparently I said, uh, watch your language, pick that shit up. So I'm just, I tried not to laugh as soon as he said it, <laughs> the dumb shit. Cause I was in the mouth. heat of battle. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Jack, he said, uh, Ben wanted to hear the tale of uh, how you met Brian Friedman. Oh, we're not going to share that online right now, but I will tell that story later. Okay. Uh, fair enough. I look forward to it. Um, yeah, you know, I, I like, I love all the books on this topic and, and, and um, you know, it's like walkability matters and, and uh, you know, happiness matters and all these things like, yeah, there's a million things we really should be do attract the creative class. But then I started thinking like, yes, and these are all right. I'm not dismissing any of those, but it's like, what if you made a decision? Like, uh, does this make people proud? Like if you right. put that lens over every single decision you made as a municipality, uh, we would be living in vastly different places and places that foster integrity, places that make people feel whole. Like, like man, it, like, doesn't it feel good to have something nice? Like whether it's, I don't know, I got a, a um, yeah, treated myself to a, a Vespa a few months ago, not to be a, uh, too much of a hipster, but I've wanted one yeah. forever. And a guy that I knew was, I know, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. I still love it. And yeah, I know. I'm going to try to curl my mustache for the rest yeah. of this interview. Um, so there I was smoking my pipe, uh, riding my Vespa to the vegan, uh, bookstore and, but I love it. Like, and I take care of it cause it, I really like it. And it's, um, something that I'm sort of proud of because it makes me feel good. And it's like, but if all of a sudden it was all scratched up and dinged up and I didn't, you know, not like that would lessen my enjoyment of it and thereby actually lessen my relationship with it. And, and, and in essence, make my life worse uh so like if you have if you have the ability if you can think about well is that new building or is that renovation going to make people proud is that whatever this um streetscape going to make people proud and if you just made a decision through that lens like i think we could it would be pretty substantial what could occur i think it's important to note that that's about being a neighbor right i think some of this is we get in the weeds about work stuff um, there were years where I was working for community development and being a terrible neighbor. Um, I didn't know any of my neighbors. I didn't put in any time or effort to get to know them. I tried to mow my grass on a regular basis. Um, but 
I think, you know, I am somebody's neighbor and it's important that you kind of start there in half these instances. It doesn't matter what your job is. You're somebody's neighbor. So don't be a shitty neighbor. Um, I've put in a lot of effort on this, even when I don't feel like it. And it has changed my ability to live, you know, comfortably where I'm at and know that I've got people looking out for my house when I'm people looking out for my house, looking out for my kid, looking out for everything that's going on. Right. So it's just effort and it's effort as a person, not as a professional half the time. Yeah. And I, th I think like that communication as a good neighbor is where it has to start because it's so easy to justify a, dis a bad decision by saying, well, I think it's going to make people proud. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily an honest answer. And so, so you can start by talking about pride and does this cultivate pride, but if people aren't transparent and you don't have the combination of standards and what, what, what are those standards and what are the concrete uh, principles that we believe in, then the, the conversation can degrade over time into everybody justifying what they want to do because it, it because of proud. Well, I want to spend a hundred thousand dollars on X because it would make people proud when it, when really you haven't set like you've turned pride into just a simple, like feel good thing right. rather than a concrete, like catalytic idea of pride. And that comes with concrete standards and things that work and things that have been proven and things that have shown worth in other communities because otherwise it just turns into the like this fluffy word that people throw out at a council meeting and everybody goes ah oh, yes we are proud of our city good job and then they leave so call that the bullshit economy uh yeah. the bse is how i refer to those things I no like you're i mean with one hand it's annoying when you completely shred my entire hypothesis so um so that's what that I do. sucks, but uh, but you're you're one hundred percent right in the fact that it's like it's standards. I mean, what let's collectively decide what we want as a community, and then hold one another accountable to that. What is okay here, and what isn't? And when you keep saying like, when in essence you tell everybody everything is okay all the time, you have set yourself up for a situation which a lot of people find themselves living in, which is a community that that doesn't have any self esteem or self respect. You don't need an HOA if everybody talks to each other. Right. Right. So um, standard having a rule book. You Jack, you you said a word that I think is, is really um important to touch upon too is the effort. Like yeah. Pride doesn't exist without effort. Like we are not, you know, it's I don't know, like we hard. we've all had that parental experience is like, you know, you want your kid to earn something, like being just given something um doesn't you don't have any skin in the game. And, you know, most people, when you talk about well, what are you proud about your town? It's like, well, these beautiful buildings or the town, you know, the founding fathers or whatever. And it's like, you didn't have a hand in that. You haven't, you've actually squandered most everything. You haven't really done much. Like pride requires participation. If you're going to be proud of something that you actually have to get involved and, and do something on your own simultaneously, like there's never been a case where I heard somebody got involved in their community and regretted it when it's like, well, <laughs> But when it's like, yeah, I went to the, the you know, cleanup day or I did this thing, like everybody feels so good after that. Like it's a real gift, honestly, to give a little to your community. And, and we've sort of, um, we're, we're so concerned with asking any, but anything of anybody that we just don't ask and we need to. 
That's that's one of the the most impressive things I think about what downtown happy hour has become and this three day bender yeah. is because of the massive amount of effort that has gone on behind the scenes between like Jeff and Joe and, and Ben, like, uh, like everybody, like, it's just been insane. Like, seriously, people, this is like, this has been such a world-class experience. And when this gets done, we're going to need another three day bender to like recover from the feeling that, that everybody's getting. I mean, like every time you look at the comment section, like it's just, like people are just losing their brains. This is the greatest thing that I've ever experienced. But that's because the effort has gone into that to create something that people can be proud of. And like that's, I mean, momentum and feelings and emotion and, and people like ready to like fly the flag and carry a banner into their city and say, like, I have this this renewed sense of purpose because like all of these people are caring about this thing and giving effort. I mean, even people like people are sitting here and watching Facebook live for five hours. That takes a lot of effort. Yes. You know, that's, that takes a lot of dedication and effort and say like every day I'm going to like for three days straight, I'm going to sit in front of Facebook live because I don't want to miss a thing. Like that's intense. Yes. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, well stated. Well stated, Phil. Yeah. I, I can't um, beat that. Phil. Thanks a lot. You know, I, I, we've got 12 minutes left and I want to do two things. I want to open it up to questions simultaneously. We oh, really yeah. kind of left the place um, um, side of this. We talked a lot about pride, but I think commenting on why we use the word place and not town, city, urban or whatever is worth, uh, worth a bit of talk as we wrap up because who knows, maybe there's not questions, but um, anybody want to jump in on, on why the word place and not a more specific? Sure. I think when we talk about cities all the time, um, I think we have seen in this country how far screwed that can get you when you ignore giant swaths of place. Um, and I think our conversation is, you know, when we talk about cities, we almost exclusively mean downtown, which is its own problem. Um, I think cities and towns are, is a good starting framework and you don't have to change it all the time, but like being aware that Place is also like the intersection between two little rural communities that are hanging out uh, and doing some cool stuff, right? I mean, the farmers that are living and working on all of that land that we choose to ignore for the most part are doing some of the most important work in this pandemic that anybody can be doing. Um, being able to point out that a farm is a place uh, is a pretty big deal and you can have pride. I know I've met loads of farmers and I have very few farmers that aren't the proudest people I've ever met. Um, certainly proud of what they've built, proud of what their community does, right? Their friend opened the butcher shop. So, I mean, there's a lot to be proud of outside of just a city and a town. And I think that's important to remember that everybody lives in a place. Yes. I, wa I want to hear what you have to say about this, Jeff. <laughs> About, yeah, about the purpose of the word place as opposed yeah. to cities and towns and things like that. Um, yeah, it, it's, um, I guess the language I've, I found frustrating at times too, um, because I mean, one thing I, I, that really rubs me wrong that I've run up against is the use of urban and rural. Like that's a landscape. You know, you can have a urban landscape or a rural landscape. You don't have a rural town or, you know, that's not a rural community. Like if it's, if there's a bunch of people living on a block, like that's an urban place. And so I think there's created a lot of divisiveness when, when we say, well, this is urban and this is rural, because like, no, 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 like they're towns. Um, 
And it's actually, I think it's been a lot because of, of funding, you know, certain funds just go to rural communities. It's like, if you live in a, a city of a million people, you still are in a neighborhood. Like you're still in a separate community and that neighborhood matters to you deeply. And that neighborhood functions in essence, the same as a town of 2000. I lived in, in Livingston, Montana. Uh, and right after that, I lived in um, um, Fort Greene, Brooklyn. And a sense of community was the exact same in both places. And they couldn't have been more different, but they, but in town, like they're both urban. And when you get out of town, it is rural. So um, that's frustrating. The, the use of, you know, so much attention is thrown at cities when hamlets and villages uh, are, are dealing with all the same things. And actually the sort of polarization between the, the you know, cities are getting more and more well off and small communities are getting so much worse off. And like, so that's kind of uh, another reason, like, I guess I think that, the built environment should instill pride and it should foster a sense of community and it should allow us to leave lives of integrity. And that should not be um, something that is just allocated to cities of a certain population. So I think place is very intentional because like place, places should um, make us feel proud. Because it, 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 all, it all sits on the same principles, like whether or not your place has three buildings in it or if it has 3000 buildings in it, like people want to care, they want to work hard and they have something to show for their effort. They, they want to feel supported by their community. They want to feel listened to like, the, like basic human instincts and wants and needs. Like, and, and that's a great thing about, about all of these, these sessions and things like that's what we're talking about are these, these basic principles that, that all of these different people in these different places can go and apply immediately to where they are like we're not talking only about things that well if if you have a population of above 300,000 come to the session at 5:30 because that apply no it's it's the same idea for everybody right. and i think that's what makes it so powerful is people can immediately walk away and say oh i have an idea of how to apply that to where i live right right like you live in a place whether it's a community of a million or a community of 20 yeah. people and they both should be special. And I, I think that you hit on an important topic that Jack started with that we I, we kind of get away from it. Like, it's about people. Mm -hmm. If you afford your people a quality living experience, again, a, an experience where they um, feel proud, where they have a sense of dignity, like you've won. As a city leader, you're going to have, everything else is going to be easy once you have achieved that thing. Because like our field, I guess, not our field, the field that we are trying to break away from has continued to put everything before people. Um, money before people, growth before people, uh, whatever it is, investment before people, not realizing that like what matters most to your community is the people that live there feel attached to it, that they're emotional about it and that they love it. And that's the last consideration in most places. And I think that that's what we have to change. Yeah, your, your place is powered by humans. It's like, that's like some matrix shit put that on a t-shirt there's there's ryan, been about <laughs> yeah i saw i saw ryan saying all these t-shirt ideas so that's why i threw that out there yeah i think he's got a little uh side hustle by the end of yeah. this put that on some apparel for us ryan short <laughs> um yeah people are emotional and we should want our people to love the place that they're in and I think that that's what I, I feel like we're trying to do is make that case not 
not to the people that are on this panel, they all know that it's the people that are, are elected officials, the people that have the ability to like this audience gets that and they, um, and I think it's trying to assist them in carrying that message out to a larger audience that they understand. Like if you make your town great for the people that live there, the other things will fall in place. Yep, absolutely. Take a quick minute to thank Ben, Joe and Jeff for making this thing happen. This was the coolest couple of days, certainly of the pandemic, um, but really in my community and economic development career, this was a really special period of time. So thank you guys for putting this together and everybody for caring to participate. It was really phenomenal to watch, right? Just to see it evolve. So thank you guys. Thank you guys. I feel like you just gave the hook. I feel like we're over. Um, it is. Not <laughs> Not seeing any questions then. And, uh, you know, we've got a phenomenal session coming up. Uh, we will give everybody, we'll get to enjoy a four minute break to, to go uh, refill their solo cups. Thank you. For All right. Uh, Phil, Jack, thank you so much for, for joining me for this session. Uh, it was fantastic. And thanks everybody for your comments for tuning in and we'll see you over at the next session. Thanks everybody. Bye. Thanks everyone.